Front office, please hold. Welcome back to another special guest segment of the front office podcast. Because we're in Olympics, you know, Olympic time frame, we, we've had a couple of special guests the last couple of weeks, and we're fortunate enough to have another former Canadian Olympian joining us this week, the much better half of our former guest, James McNaughton. And of course, we're referring to former skeleton competitor, Sarah McNaughton, formerly as Sarah Reed. Sarah, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. So again, you know, we talked a little bit before we jumped on here, but thank you so much for making the time for us. I know that, you know, speaking to your husband a couple of weeks ago, it really got, you know, the sense of the Olympics are so close and it's so interesting to talk to an actual Olympian who went through these kind of things that these athletes are going through. Uh, of course. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. So, um, you know, doing a little research prior to, uh, to getting you on here, I know that much like your husband, you were a, a, a two sport athlete. So you didn't start out, you know, as an Olympian, you started out in another sport that you actually competed at, at a very high level. Maybe take us into that and get us going into what type of athlete Sarah Reed was. Yeah, so I actually had quite an unorthodox, I guess, transition into the sport of skeleton. I started skeleton in my mid-teens when I was 15 years old. Um, but before I got into skeleton, I was a ballerina. <laughs> um, I did dance from the time that I was five until the time that I was 14 years old. Um, and I did compete. I did a couple other sports as well. Um, I played soccer and I was on a snowboarding team as well, but dance was kind of my primary sport, I guess. Um, and I didn't really have like the perfect body type for ballet and it just, I kind of took it as far as I could go. So around the time that I was 14, 15, I, I started looking for something a little bit different and that's how I stumbled into the sport of skeleton. And so speaking into the sport of skeleton, I mean, not necessarily the most traditional sport that someone would want to get into. What really drove you to, you know, wanting to get on a sled and go down an ice shoot head first? Yeah, it's a very common question. Everyone's like, what is wrong with you? Um, so actually, oddly enough, I didn't know about skeleton at first. I had wanted originally to get into bobsled. Um, I'm sure probably so many bobsledders have this like story of watching cool runnings and yeah. and wanting to try bobsled I think James is the exact same yeah so a girlfriend of mine and myself had watched cool runnings and we were like oh it'd be so cool to try bobsled I grew up in Calgary Alberta so at that time the only bobsled track in Canada was basically in my backyard so I called up Canada Olympic Park and asked them how I would try bobsled and I did, um, they have like talent identification camps where athletes that want to try the sport can come out and you do like a 30 meter sprint, med ball throw, all that kind of stuff. And then they kind of put you into different streams, like to get into the sport. So I showed up to the talent ID camp and I was like 15 years old and hundred pounds soaking wet, which in hindsight is so hilarious. Cause if you've ever seen 
the Canadian, you've seen James, you've seen the Bob's letters. Like I was such, such a fish out of water. Yeah. So they entertained me and let me do, I did all the testing stuff. And then at the end, they kind of pulled me aside and said, we don't really think Bosley is for you, but we have another sport that we would love for you to try. And so that's how I got into skeleton. I, I did, um, like a driving school where they kind of teach you how to get down the track safely. And then from there, I, I fell in love with the sport and, and stuck with it. So, yeah. And, and I mean, you talk about how, you know, there's, there's actual like really in-depth instruction and whatnot and driving school, you know, as you say, you know, I think everybody who watches skeleton on TV looks at it as, Oh, well, there's grooves in the ice. You just lie in the, you know, lie in the sled and then it can, you know, just kind of takes you down but there's so much that goes into it. Maybe take us through the step-by-step process of by the time you start running down, you jump on the sled and then, you know, how do you navigate the turns? How do you get more aerodynamic and just things of that nature and just how minute the details get. For sure. Yeah. I think that's like one of the biggest misconceptions about skeleton is of all three of the sliding sports, it's the one that really just looks like you lie there. Um, (laughs) but you definitely have to drive your way down the track. Uh, so to start out, there's the 30 meter push start. So yep. we physically push our sleds like a sprint start and then load onto the sled. And that's, that's where the grooves end. So there's only grooves for about the first 30 meters of the track and the rest is just smooth ice. Um, and each sled is built up of kind of the body of the sled. There's a saddle, which is what you lay in, and then two runners at the bottom of the sled. And the runners are what dig into the ice and allow you to navigate down the track. So to steer the sled, you actually, you like shift your weight and push your body into the frame of the skeleton sled. And that causes the runners to dig in in a way that sort of tracks into the ice, if that makes sense. Yeah. So every track is different and has a different amount of curves. Um, so you push your sled, you get on, you steer your track or your sled down to the bottom. And then one of the more exciting <laughs> parts is braking at the end. We don't have any brakes on the skeleton sled. So to stop it at the end, you actually push your body up off the sled to catch the wind on your chest and you drag your toes. <laughs> our toes are our brakes. <laughs> so yeah, but there is, there's so much that goes into it. Like we, really have to um, fine-tune equipment there's different um, cuts of runners for different ice conditions or different tracks aerodynamics is a huge part of it we spent a lot of time in the wind tunnel in Ottawa testing different suits and helmets and and sled positions and all of that kind of stuff so yeah it looks like we're not doing much but a lot goes into getting down the track not just safely but quickly as well there's like quite a fine line between getting down in one piece and getting down in one piece and fast. Absolutely. You know, and and I mean, anyone who's willing to, you know, go that quickly, you know, (laughs) head first without much, you know, option to, you know, turn the sled, move the sled is, you know, you've got to have your wits with you at all times. But again, like the thing that I'm fascinated with is, you know, just how much the human body comes into turning the sled and you know motioning it in a, in a way that will make you more aerodynamic so what's the most important part you know for a, a skeleton competitor in making sure that you are turning as efficiently as possible and what type of body part do you utilize more often to do that that's such a good question so it kind of depends on the athlete different athletes steer the sled in different ways there's some athletes and it also depends on your sled setup as well um so the german sleds for example they all they have a program they make all of their own equipment 
and their sleds are all very, very stiff. So they do a ton of head steering. Like when you're watching them slide, their heads are moving all over the track. Whereas our sleds, Canadian sleds are made by a lot of Canadian slide on a sled that's made by a British fabricator. Mm -hmm. And they're a lot more flexible, a lot more of your body shift comes into it. And there's some athletes that steer a lot more with your toes by dragging your toes on the ice. So the steering thing is kind of personal preference, but I would say one of the kind of key parts or the most important parts is having it's kind of hard because it's counterintuitive. Like you're going 120 kilometers down the track, yeah. but you have to be relaxed because if your body's not relaxed and kind of melted into the sled, then every little bump that you hit on the ice or every bump that you take on the wall kind of is compounded because you're not absorbing that movement, if that right. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So steering, steering is kind of personal preference to the slider, but if you're not super confident and relaxed and like jello on your sled, then you're going to be slower for sure. Yeah. And, and you know, what I read about it is that the body acts as the shock absorber, you know, for, exactly. for the sled. So, which is, which is so neat when you think about it, because every other form of transportation, the apparatus acts as the shock absorber, but this yeah. is completely different. So Again, yeah. you, know, you think about all these little details that go into competing at skeleton. And I mean, no one would think that, well, if I'm literally one one hundredth of a second slower, it's because my toe drag affected it by that much. Or I tense my right shoulder yeah. when I was going around that corner instead of being loose. Like it's it's insane when you when you break it down. So, you know, looking at your history of competition, very decorated. You you were able to win a lot of medals at a lot of different competitions and Congratulations on that, by the way. Um, Thank you. <laughs> but, you know, obviously you traveled a lot around the world competing at the highest level. What was the absolute best part about traveling around and competing at different tracks? And what is one event that you remember like it was yesterday that you could literally rhyme off to me, you know, without uh, without thinking about it? Um. So definitely one of the very best parts of getting to compete was getting to travel around the world like that because it's such a niche sport these tracks are in these like very weird little pockets of the world that I don't even think I ever would have heard of so many of them had I not have been in skeleton and they're some of the like coolest most beautiful little like treasures that you go to and it's such a cool opportunity to get to go and meet all the people that live in these places and get to compete. And especially in Europe, skeleton and bobsleigh and luge are such huge sports there. Like they sell tickets for the events versus in Canada, you're like begging your friends to come watch you. <laughs> um, but yeah, they sell tickets. They like set off fireworks. They have like fan clubs that follow some athletes around the world to different tracks and stuff. So yeah, for sure, one of the coolest parts is just getting to go to these different countries and these different little towns and cities in these countries and and see these beautiful places and, and getting to do it with groups of amazing people too. Like everyone that we travel with and tour with are all really cool people. And um, we have a ton of fun on tour too, or had yeah. a ton of fun on tour. And I would say the event that probably like immediately sticks out to me when you ask that, it should be the Olympics. And it, <laughs> It is, but yeah. I feel like that's such a, such an easy answer. I think it would be my first world cup win, my first world cup medal, which was in Lake Placid. Um, and it's a track that I had been to a ton of times, a track that I had always been really challenged with. It's a really, it's a challenging 
um, a driver's track, you call it, where if you're not a good driver, you're not going to be able to get down in, in metal contention, let alone possibly safely. So, um, and it was kind of set up in a different way. Usually it's a combination of two, uh, two downtimes, two heats, but for this race, they had decided it was like a tester thing. So they had the two heats, the one day, and then they had a third run on the second day that they put in between foreman bobsleigh. So they did like the foreman one run and then skeleton's third race run and then the foreman second run and um it was myself and my teammate in first place and second place and there was only two one hundredths of a second separating us going into that third run so i just remember like i had never been in that position being the last person off the block being in first place going into a final run and and being able to to clinch the win and i won by three one hundredths of a second so it was that definitely is like one of my most memorable races for sure. It was just so cool to, to get to do it there too on a track that I loved. And yeah. Amazing. And, uh, you know, I, I'm actually very familiar with Lake Placid myself. I, uh, I actually okay. won a, I won a gold medal at a hockey tournament there one time. So oh, be, yeah, be, yeah, that's be, awesome. being able to see the Olympic village and the setup and actually I didn't go down the hill, but I saw where the track was laid out. And, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, anybody who hasn't been down to Lake Placid, please do yourself a service and go down there just to see the history that's gone on with not, not one, but two Olympics that have happened in 1932 oh, yeah. and 1980. So, you know, and again, it's such a cool memory that you can always take because again, you went through it with a teammate of yours. And I think that always makes it more special yeah. when you're competing on a world stage and you're able to do it with, you know, a close friend, you know, but also a competitive rivalry that you might have with, uh, with, with that For person sure. as well. Um, that, that's great. And I mean, obviously you, you've done so well with the sport up to that point. And I asked the same question to your husband, but I mean, you know, everybody has a different, you know, a different story for it, but what was your Olympic story? When did you find out you were going to the Olympics? How did, you know, how did you take it? And where were you when you, know, you finally got the call to say, Hey, I'm going to Sochi. Yeah. So my story is quite different from James's actually. I know he, they waited until quite late to, to name the bobsleigh team. Um, so for skeleton, you have to have a certain number of Olympic qualifiers to even, um, make yourself a candidate. So Canada, the Canadian Olympic committee or not the Canadian, the IOC requires qualifiers, but then the, the Canadian Federation also requires a certain amount of Olympic qualifiers. So you can start qualifying in skeleton um, the year prior to the Olympic year. And for us, I believe it was we had to have six top six finishes in the year and a half leading up to the games. So I was I was really lucky. I got five out of my six Olympic qualifiers the year prior to the games. And then our very first World Cup of the season was in Calgary, my home track. Yeah. So I went into it going like, this is my sixth. I'm going to get my sixth qualifier. I'm going to, here we go. And then I placed seventh. (laughs) And then um, the girl who had come in first actually got disqualified for, for her. She had something illegal on her sled. So I found out, I remember I was packing up all my stuff at the top of the track and I had thought I had placed seventh. And then someone radioed up and said that I had to get down to drug control because I had actually placed six. So that was how I found out I had that last qualifier. And then by qualifying at that point, I had 
basically named myself to the team. So that was kind of what I needed to know that I was going to go. So that day was crazy because it was such a mix of emotions of like thinking I was going to do it, realizing I hadn't done it and then finding out I did it. (laughs) Um, But that was in, I think it would have been November of 20. 13. Okay. So then I had a whole season to go. So I had a lot more time to prepare. Yeah. Kind of knowing that I had secured my spot for the games, which was really nice. Absolutely. I mean, I think to what James was saying two weeks before, I mean, just knowing that that you've got a solid few months to say, I can fine tune everything that I'm doing. You know, I've also got the assurance of, okay, I don't have to have any stress in my life right now. Basically, the only thing I have to worry about is keeping my good form and then obviously preventing injury because that's obviously a huge factor leading into it. So, again, you know, fantastic that, you know, you're able to qualify for such an amazing time in anyone's life, let alone, you know, let alone an athlete. And so you're going to Sochi, you're there with Team Canada, you get to, you know, you get to take part in something that only a handful of people in the history of the world have ever been able to take part in. What are some of the Olympic moments that stick out for you? And they could be competition. They could be, you know, something that you did in the village. They can be people that you met. Like what, what are a couple of things that maybe stuck out to you as this was the moment for you being an Olympian that really made it worth it? Yeah, there are definitely like quite a few of those memories that pop up. And funnily enough, like a lot of them don't have to do with competition or directly never do. with competition. Never do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, one of the competition ones for sure. I was really lucky. My family was able to fly out and watch me compete. So I have two siblings and both my parents came. And then at that time, actually, I had an aunt and uncle that were living in Russia. Yeah. So they came and watched as well. And awesome. I remember like we prepped so much the, the, well, basically the quad leading up to the Olympics, but especially Olympic year to like manage nerves. And we did all sorts of like stuff to kind of get ourselves in the right headspace so that when you're in this position that you've never been in at, at the Olympic games in the stadium, um, you're prepared. And I remember the warm up track in Sochi is like actually lifted above where the start line is. So you can look down on the crowd And I was warming up for my first run and I like peered over the fence to look down and instantly saw my family. Yeah. And I have never been so nervous in my entire (laughs) life for anything. As soon as I saw them, I was like, Oh God, I cannot look down there. Yeah. Um, But having my family there was like incredibly special. It was really, really cool to get to see them at the finish line um, for my last run. Like after my last run, I climbed over and got to go hang out with my family and watch the rest of the race. And that was a very, very cool moment to have them there. Yeah. And then actually this is such an odd one, but um, we, we competed on day seven, I think. So there was still half the games to go. Right. So we, we got to go and watch so many different events and really like kind of soak in what the games had to offer. And me and some teammates went to a biathlon event. Okay. And it was like one of the coolest sporting events I've ever been to in my entire life. Like they had, it was such a cool stadium. It was packed full of people and they had like the music pumping and it was just, it was like a very energized, you would never think biathlon, No. Um, but it was very, very cool. That was definitely like a moment that sticks out. And then of course, like the hockey games and stuff like that, there was such exciting hockey at those games so but just getting to be there with the other Canadian athletes and 
getting we I feel very lucky that we competed early enough that I got to see some different events and kind of soak it up yeah and, and I mean especially because you were able to stay for the entirety of the event right I mean a lot of athletes they'll compete and then they'll go home or they'll show yeah. because they've had scheduling conflicts with whatever sport they compete in but yeah that, that, that's so great I mean you, you're talking about biathlon and and obviously like we're saying that you know skeleton is such a niche sport and who thought of you know doing that I want to know who thought of strapping on a pair of skis, doing some cross country skiing with a gun on your back, and a gun, yes. random <laughs> targets in the middle of a forest. Like that, it just it, it boggles the mind as to who thinks up of some of these sports. But um, that, that again, something that I never knew coming into this that biathlon actually is a, a very raucous event. So yeah, I'm, le- I'm leaving yeah, with it something was really new. Really cool. Yeah. <laughs> um. So obviously, like you, you're competing at the Olympics. You're you're at the highest level. You're you're winning medals on the world stage. Like this is something that, again, only a handful of people could ever dream about. Unfortunately, you, along with so many other athletes, had your career cut short due to an injury. So I mean, I went through it. Obviously, your husband went through it, and you know, and and, and you went through it. So maybe you know take us through you know what ended up happening to you and why did you have to you know maybe cut your career a little bit too short yeah so it's a very very common injury in skeleton which is probably not shocking but I um, retired due to a head and neck injury Mm -hmm. Um, so over my course of my career I got quite a few concussions which most skeleton athletes do um And just the wear and tear on your, your head and neck is quite extreme in the sport. I, I think it's managed better now. Um, but when I was kind of coming up through the ranks, it was almost like a badge of honor. We used to call it sled head okay. where like in hindsight, it was like you're sliding concussed, which is yeah. terrible. Um, but it was almost like a badge of honor to like, see how many runs you could do and like to push through the kind of like foggy fogginess and stuff like that. So mm. I think over the years, it just kind of builds up. Um, And actually it was at the Olympic test event in Sochi in 2012. The track was brand new and it was very, very bumpy. And I didn't actually even hit my head. I just, from sliding on the bumpy track over and over, I got a concussion just from all of the bumpiness. So I had to pull out of that event and then spent the following season, the following off season rehabbing. And then ended up having to be very, very cautious my Olympic year. Um, I never, for one race, took all of my training runs. I was constantly in like physio and stuff like that, just to kind of keep my head and neck as healthy as possible. And actually the last race before, or the second to last race before the Olympics, I crashed and hit my head. Um, So I pulled out of the final race of the season, like kind of that whole year, the goal was just to get healthy to the Olympics. Um, and I was, I was healthy at the games. I competed at the top of my game. So I'm super proud of that, but I do think that was kind of the final straw for me trying to come back the off season of the following year. I remembered like almost having concussion symptoms from like sprinting and stuff like that. Yeah. And I couldn't shoulder check in my car. There was just, it just was like, my body was trying to tell me you're done. So I tried to stick through it um, as much as I could, but I ended up having to pull the plug, which in hindsight, I should have made that decision right away. Yeah. But it's hard when you're in it for sure. 
Absolutely. And I think anyone who, who goes through that at a high level can, can definitely attest to what you're saying. Um, yeah. So again, your, your husband challenged me to ask you this question, but when you <laughs> met him, he had an interesting haircut. So you know, maybe tell us about the haircut a little bit and, uh, and your reaction to, uh, to how he looked. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I actually ha- had known James since 2010. Yeah. Um, but we didn't start dating until both of us kind of had officially retired from sports. So it's funny because I have all these memories of him on tour and stuff, but never like never as my boyfriend or my husband. Um, but yes, the, the a bunch of the bobsleigh guys decided Olympic year to grow mullets uh-huh. and like huge beards. <laughs> and I remember so when you go when you go to um when you go to race you have to have you have to do like a headshot they film a headshot where you look at the camera and you say what your name is and where you're from and then they play that at the bottom of the screen when you're about to compete and so we had gone to go film our headshots and I knew James but I didn't know him super well and he was ahead of me because his last name is M and mine is R yeah so I was standing kind of like inside the tent waiting to do my headshot and watching him do his and he had like a gross, very long mullet and a huge beard. And I remember they had like fans going on his face <laughs> and he turned, they have you like turn to, for so it's your profile. And then you turn your head towards the camera yeah. and he like flipped his hair so that his mullet would come over his shoulder. <laughs> and I just remember watching him being like, this guy is such a loser. <laughs> but he's obviously not a loser. <laughs> but no, I wasn't, I mean, it didn't bother me then, but I do think back to that memory of like, oh, gross. Like, yeah. look at this guy with a gross mullet, like you, soaking you, it in. But, yeah, you, you've yeah. got it etched in your mind to never let it yes, get to that point again. Yeah. But again, I had no idea about that. So thank you very much for enlightening me. He, uh, he wouldn't no tell problem. me, he, he wouldn't tell me what, uh, what, what the story was. So um, yeah. <laughs> But all right, I know that uh, obviously, much like me, you've got a little one to to take care of, you know, so you're up early in the morning, so we'll get you <laughs> out of here. But the last thing I'll get you to to kind of talk about is for anyone who's looking to come up, you know, in, in the sport of skeleton, what are some tidbits of advice that you can give, you know, that maybe you would have wished you had heard back when you were 15 and just taking up the sport? Yeah, I mean it's supposed to be fun. I think first and foremost, like I think people come in often because it looks like you're not doing anything on the sled. People come in and they have a fast push and they think they're going to be at the Olympics in four years. And it's not that like, it's a sport that you really have to work at. You have to hone your skills at the start down the track and you have to really hone your skills around like setting up your equipment and stuff. And I think people get so focused on I want to go to the Olympics or I want to win a gold medal that they forget that it's supposed to be fun. Like there's Mm -hmm. so many cool places that you get to go. You get to meet so many cool people. It's an awesome sport. Like you're going 120 kilometers head first down an ice chute. (laughs) So I think like trying not to get so caught up in, in where you want to be and getting there as fast as possible and soaking in those like smaller moments of being on tour with your friends and your teammates and getting to know people from different countries all around the world and getting to go to these like really cool pockets of the world I think 
don't rush towards the goal so fast that you like miss it is is something I wish I had a ton of fun like I do feel like I I did soak it in and stuff but I do think it's really easy to get caught up in the end goal and forget how enjoyable the process should be yeah and I mean words to live by in in any stretch but I mean that's something that I think can, can resonate so much with with young athletes for sure but you know, Sarah, it's been an absolute honor to get to talk to one of the most decorated athletes in the sport of skeleton. And uh, again, you know, something that I, I've always wanted to kind of dive more into. And it's great that I was able to talk to someone like yourself. So again, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us and uh, all the best to you and the family. And uh, really look forward to seeing some updates when uh, when the new one is uh, is officially you know, on its way in the, in a couple of months. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Maybe we'll have to get you down to Lake Placid and on a sled one day. You know what? I would be honored to do that. And I think <laughs> with my body weight, I'd probably break some speed records for sure. Yeah, so <laughs> only if you coach me though, that's the only way I'm going to go. I will. I promise. <laughs> All right. Well, again, Sarah, thank you so much. And uh, we'll definitely talk soon. Thank you.